0: This is
1: World Beyond War, a new podcast.
0: Welcome to episode 23 of the World Beyond War podcast. I'm Mark Elliott Stein, speaking to you from Brooklyn, New York, and I'm here with three World Beyond War chapter leaders who've been building peace movements where they live and where they're speaking to us from today. I'm really excited to introduce to you these three members of the World Beyond War community which is to say three members of the community of busy and dedicated peace activists who are part of the World Beyond War global family. These are Guy Figat in Burundi, Cameroon, Helen Peacock in South Georgian Bay, Canada, and Heinrich Bucher in Berlin, Germany. We're going to get to know each of these three and talk about what they each do in their own communities, as well as what motivates their anti-war activism and their thoughts about the work we all engage in together. So let's get started. Regional chapters are a big part of what World Beyond War does. They're how we reach into communities all over the world. Our many chapter leaders work with our organizing director, Greta Zaro. And I've had the pleasure of meeting two of the leaders here today, Helen Peacock and Anrak Bukar, at World Beyond War global conferences. I've never met Guy Figap of Cameroon, though I hope to someday, so I'm going to begin by saying hi to gay. Thanks for being here. And can you tell us about your chapter in Wande, Cameroon?
2: Thank you for giving me the chance to speak today, uh, Mark. My greetings to Irish and Ellen. I'm happy to, to meet virtually. We hope to have the chance to meet physically uh, once the time comes. So as you rightly introduced, I am Guy Fegat from Cameroon, and I'm the chapter coordinator of World Beyond War, which is a, a newly created chapter of World Beyond War. Uh, the chapter was created last year in November 2020 at the end of a training World Beyond War organized online on war and environment. So actually, the coordinate the the Chapter has uh, some few committed uh, members who are evolving in movement building and peace building in Cameroon to help contribute as we can in finding lasting solutions to the long crisis that have been shaking the country since uh, the, the last decade.
0: Thank you so much for being here. And there are big things going on in your country. At World Beyond War, we've had other involvement with other folks from Cameroon. I'd like to dig in later to what's actually going on in your country as well. But first, let's keep going on and saying hello. Um, I've met Helen Peacock. Actually, Helen, you and I had a, a wonderful long conversation about psychology the first time we met, which was at the Toronto Conference. Please tell us about what you do with World
1: Beyond War and the chapter you run. As Guy was talking, I was thinking that our chapter actually isn't even two years old. It just seems like it's been around forever. We started it in um, sort of the end of June of uh, 2019. And um, we kind of started with a bang. We had 18 people in my basement who were keen and ready to go. And um, we put on an International Peace Day event. And that's how we kind of got our teeth wet and got going. The reason I started the chapter was it was almost as if I was compelled to start it because I had been at that conference with you in Toronto and found it incredibly um, I just learned so much and then I went on to take the world beyond war um, abolish war 101 course and I then I felt I really had to had to take action and we did
0: great um, so much more to say there but let's keep going with introductions. Heinrich Bucher, my first vision of, of meeting you was at Limerick, where I remember you and I were in a music and peace activism session together. So we did a little bit of singing. Tell us about your chapter.
3: Yeah, thank you for inviting me to this uh, meeting. Uh, very pleasure, and uh, it's an honor to be here. Yeah, I'm here in Germany since 2015. thousand and fifteen. I'm uh, the chapter here in Berlin, from my little anti-war cafe I run in downtown Berlin. And uh, so I have uh, followed uh, events, I kind of uh, live streamed events uh, from Washington DC and some other places. And uh, last year we met, uh, uh, two years ago we met in Limerick at the conference and it was very interesting to, to meet all these international people. And talk to them and uh, find out what is going on. And uh, yeah, here in Berlin, we we do a lot of activities. So I participate with the banner of World Beyond War in many different protests. We are visiting and participating in. And uh, the last thing we do here at the moment is like a campaign together with Watch of Waters and World Beyond War about the nuclear treaty. Prohibition of nuclear weapons and uh, putting up billboards in Berlin, and uh, yeah, it's a it's had a great time with the movement.
0: I do have to say, from the evidence on social media, Enric, you are one of the most active chapter leaders because I love the photos you post of your anti-war cafe and um, and the protests. You do many protests, so we'll we'll be talking to that. Actually, I, I want to get into the the um, different regional issues we are all dealing with. So Guy, um, I'd love it if you could tell us what is going on in Cameroon? What is the situation for peace activists in Cameroon? And what does the world not know about
2: Cameroon? Okay, thank you. Uh, Cameroon is uh, a country found in the central Africa, the center of Africa. And it's uh, about 475,000 uh, kilometers square, which is not a very big country, and it's about 25 million people in, in Cameroon. So, uh, this country, unfortunately, because of this uh, strategic position in the center of Africa, has to suffer uh, challenges, security challenges, uh, mostly from, firstly, from the borders. Uh, The first challenges, security challenges, came from Central Africa, which is the Central African Republic, the country bordering, Cameroon. And uh, another attack, have to come from Nigeria, which is another bordering country, and the attacks from Nigeria were from the Boko Haram terrorist group. And this started about in 2014 with the attacks in the northern part of the the country. It, it, the attacks from the center, the Central African Republic, uh, are from the border with the uh eastern region of cameroon so uh another attacks that is inside the country started in 2016 in the english-speaking regions so uh to to summarize we have uh, four main uh, regions which suffer uh, conflicts the first one being the far north of cameroon with Boko Haram attacks. The second one being the East region, being the the, the East region with the attack from neighboring country. And the two other regions being the Northwest and the Southwest and with separatist groups that name themselves as Amber Boys. So this uh, group uh, basically are uh, asking for the independence of the, the part of the country. They are asking, looking for a situation which uh, the government actually uh, does not accept. And the response to their demand was violent. And today we are in a cycle of uh, conflict crisis. So to understand very well uh, this uh, situation, the Women's International League for Peace and Freedom, the organization with which I also work before joining World Beyond War, had to do a gender conflict analysis in the national territory to understand the root causes of those conflicts and also to, to analyze how it impacts the rest of the, the, the country. So with those uh, front, war front areas, the whole country is finally affected by the conflict Conflict because there are a lot of uh, internally displaced peoples. Uh, actually, we can number about uh, 900,000 internally displaced people in, in Cameroon. And part of the population of the affected region also have to flee from outside the, the, the country to, to find refuge in nigeria the border country so this uh what young war in cameroon appears in this uh context in this conflictual context where there are a lot of mistrust in the country among the population there are a lot of the increase of uh hate speech increase of violence increase of insecurity in the whole country so you understand in which context uh, we have to to do the best we can to at least show the language of peace among the, the population
0: i just want to express how much concern we all have and how terrible that must be for you to watch this happen when this began happening and you you know you mentioned 2016 you mentioned how things got worse Were you aware of how bad the crisis was before it turned into a
2: war? Yes, before this, before this happened, there have been a lot of signs to show that uh, if in Cameroon we do not uh, pay attention, this will surely happen because uh, this is as a result of lots of uh, governance issues. Uh, It's also a result of uh, justice. Justice Uh, It's also an issue of poverty, extreme poverty. So these are most of the causes of this uh, situation. And uh, Cameroonian, in particular civil society organizations and some political leaders have to denounce this and to show uh, the government... That if something is not done properly, actually this situation will happen. And what is really happening? We have in our government, we have the prison of republic, has been there for more than twenty eight years at power, more than twenty eight years, which means that uh, uh, the alternance democratically is not uh, really uh, does happen in Cameroon. There are elections, and the election mostly all. Uh, I will not say always. I will say most of the time resolved with a uh, lot of fraud, and which maintain the same system at power. And the population is uh, angry of that, and find other ways to express themselves. which unfortunately, is uh, is is violence, and the issue of poverty is cons- concerned particularly the, the youth the young people which do not uh, have access to, to opportunity to job opportunities and uh, when the terrorist groups come and offer them a huge amount of money to join their, 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 their ranks they do not hesitate including some families have to encourage their younger boys to join the armed group because of money because they, they are looking for better way to survive. And the the, the, the women's nationally for peace and freedom wealth I mentioned earlier in twenty twenty that is earlier before the, the the war started has to convene a a high level meeting to show that if you do not prevent conflicts it will happen. And they were using the UN Security Council Resolution 1325 framework on the women's participation in peace uh, building, conflict prevention, and conflict crisis management to ask the government to adopt a national action plan of this resolution to avoid conflict to appear in the country like the neighboring country. So there they were a lot of signs. There were a lot of uh, initiatives to alert on, on this, but unfortunately, we finally found ourselves caught in this uh, sad situation that we witnessed today without uh, any means to, to stop it for now. A part of uh, raising awareness on the dangers of this, uh, this conflict, this crisis, because people are dying, people are abandoning their, their homes. There are lots of uh, criminality and lots of impact of those conflicts we have to to, to witness. Thank you.
0: I can only imagine. I just want to tell you how much it means to all of us that you take the time to communicate about this. Because... Um, I hate to say that here in the United States, we hear very little about what goes on in Africa. I bet it's different in other parts of the world, but I'm so glad that we are in touch with you so that we can try to be a positive force, um, at least in, in helping you communicate to the rest of the world. Helen, um Canada is also a hotspot in a different way, and I'm referring now to what I've learned about increases in militarism and defense spending. Part of this is that at War Beyond War, we've, we've recently begun working with someone named Rachel Small, who is an organizer for the whole organization and helping to make us understand that the situation for militarism and military spending is changing in Canada. Can you tell us from your perception, What's going on in Canada in terms of the mission and hopes to have a more peaceful world?
1: I just want to say how deeply touched I am by Guy's sharing. And um, I've been to West Africa. I've actually lived in East Africa. And I'm really, um, my my brain is thinking, what can we be doing to help him? Um, As for Canada, if I were to describe my process of waking up It took a period of time for me to realize the extent to which we live in a military culture. Because Canada is the sixth most peaceful country in the world. We're very proud of that. We see ourselves as peacemakers around the world. Um, We are a fairly successful multicultural experiment. And yet, our government facilitates the largest trade show for the military in North America. Every year, I mean, that's mind boggling. And when I tell Canadians that, they're horrified. And the only reason it's been happening is that they're flying below the radar screen and people don't know. A year and a half ago for International Peace Day, I pointed out that the Ministry of Defence had 17 times the budget of the Ministry of the Environment. Where is the greater threat to Canada? Well, clearly um, we are experiencing a climate crisis. So yes, it's happened incrementally. I think people don't realize. I think we tend to take what we hear on the news a little bit. We need to have a little more grain of salt in terms of what we're hearing on the news. People need to be more discerning. And again, our focus in our chapter is grassroots. My focus is grassroots. Raising consciousness, would be the way I would put it. Um, one person at a time, one group at a time, one town at a time, one province at a time, um, so that people become more aware of what's been happening. I firmly believe in the um, the research of Erica Chenoweth. I believe in the in the story of the Hundreds Monkey, which is very similar. I don't know whether you're familiar with that, but basically, if just I think it was three point four percent of us wake up to what's happening and take action, that will be enough for us to shift our culture. And I, I feel that Canada has a real opportunity perhaps to, to be an inspiration here just because we, we are otherwise internally a peaceful country. You mentioned Erica
0: Chenoweth and I, I never miss an opportunity to talk about how much I love the book by Maria J. Stephen and Erica Chenoweth, which really lays out the case that civil resistance is effective and it's filled with data. It's a very um, well-researched book. If anybody ever says that civil resistance does not work, you pull out this book and say, here's a lot of evidence that shows that you're wrong. And you mentioned ho- the hundred monkeys. Can you just fill, fill us in on the hundred monkeys?
1: I'll just say that um, Erica Chenoweth says it's actually twice as effective. It will last twice, twice as much of a chance of actually uh, lasting as any form of other resistance. The 100th monkey is a true story. Scientists who were observing the Japanese monkey on an island off of Japan. And in 1952, they dumped a bunch of sweet potatoes on the beach. And the monkeys loved the sweet potatoes, but they didn't like the sand in the sweet potato. And then one day, an 18-month-old female monkey Washed the sweet potato in a stream. She taught her mother, uh, showed her mother what she'd done, and her mother did it. A few of the other young monkeys picked up the habit and showed their mothers, and they did it. So over time, some monkeys in the tribe started washing their sweet potato in the stream. And then about it was about five years later. It took a while. All of a sudden, one more monkey adopted the habit, of washing their sweet potato in the stream, and the entire tribe started doing it almost overnight. And the scientists sort of couldn't believe that just happened like that overnight. But something even more unexpected happened, and the monkeys living on the mainland and on other islands also started washing their sweet potatoes in the stream. So it's Erica Chenoweth, really. It's why we're all here. We all know this needs to happen.
0: Either it will happen or our our planet will be dead. Um, At least our species will be dead. Um, So great. (sighs) Henrik, I I think, as I've mentioned, I I really enjoy seeing your activities on Facebook. So I I know a little bit about what you do already. You run an anti-war cafe. you You are very active in organizing protests, but I'd just love to hear about it from you. What is going on in Germany these days? What is going on in Europe these days? And tell us how you are a
3: part of it. Okay, <clears throat> at the moment we are in the midst of uh, the Corona crisis, you know, which is like going on for actually a year now. On the 18th of March was one year. My place is actually closed except for four months which it was opened in between the, the summer and the autumn of Last year now it's closed again, probably going on on uh, through Easter and later maybe even. There's a lot of uh, uh, confusion also about what is causing it, how dangerous it is. Uh, even in the peace movement, there's a lot of division now coming out from, from that crisis uh, to the extent that a lot of people think it's... Uh, it's sort of a conspiracy, it's not a real danger, it's like not um, much more than a flu, that uh, who's involved in it, maybe it's a new world order idea behind it, great reset, Bill Gates and the Chinese, and a lot of super weird uh, theories, and um, my take is it's it's, uh, pretty dangerous, we have to be very careful, we have to, probably get uh, vaccinated at least the majority of the population in order to, to fight it off which is a big problem because in europe you don't have as much vaccines right now because it's like all based on pfizer and astrazeneca and all these western uh medications and then vaccines so this is one thing also at the moment we with my groups i'm also a little bit propagating that uh, the Russian and Chinese and Cuban vaccines and medicines should be allowed to the the European market. And uh, yeah, that's also at the same time, we do this uh, campaign for uh, progressive groups in in Latin America, which is going on like since two years now, I'm, I'm kind of organizing with some friends of mine an event at the Brandenburg Gate, uh, where we have like groups from different countries speaking up. They have huge problems in Latin America about this uh, COVID uh, problem, and uh, they are also like I feel at the moment the most uh, clearest and less confused group because they are like actually left. They they know what is what is right and the problem what is right. Tisch, put it that way and uh, that's a problem in the in the German peace movement at the moment at the moment that a lot of groups are kind of opening up a little bit to the to the right spectrum they think it's we are so weak because it's affected the German peace movement and worldwide i would say there's a certain weakness and they think it's kind of important to to have a wider view on things that the the, the, the right parties and groups, they're also not completely to be rejected. So it's like kind of, we are getting into this mix where people are willing to to open up to information channels too, that are tending to, to a little bit open up to the right side. And uh, that is a big problem. And this movement that I, Called out last, this Venezuela hands of Venezuela uh, movement, United Front for Latin America, we call it too. That is like kind of very conscious about these things and uh, other movements as well. So, that uh, is one of the things I would like to stress to here for now, you know,
0: hearing from. Each of the three of you really brings home the fact that that things are getting worse all over. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, the things you just said, Henrik, I, I did not expect to hear. I was not aware that there are COVID conspiracy theories spreading in Europe as they are here in the United States. And I was not actually aware of the resurgence of the right in Germany, which, of course, we all understand what that can mean. So I'm quite concerned about the things you're talking about. And I'm going to address this question to Guy. What can we do as as anti-war activists in the face of the conflicts that are getting worse? What can we do? Guy, what can you do as an individual? And I'm going to ask each of you this question.
2: Okay, thank you. I will first start uh, with the... A few comments on what I, I'm hearing about the, the colleagues. Uh, we have the perception from Africa that uh, European countries or American countries are very peaceful, are the best places to be. And when I understand or the testimonies here, I understand that there the are a lot of challenges to to bring peace everywhere it is not to do to bring peace everywhere so that's why i highly welcome your question on what to do to end to end this or uh, at least to contribute to finding lasting solutions first as an individual am writer i have published uh, some books in which i try i use them to educate to educate the large public who have access to it, those who can read it, they understand my appeal to to peace, to community life. As individual, still I'm a teacher and I use my classroom as peace spaces. And the young people I have to educate on a daily basis with whom I have to work, they have to be different people to be educated differently. Uh, yes, that is what I think on the personal level I have to educate people where I where I am. Now with the movement of what the young world being built, this is another opportunity to to work with young people to spread the message of education. I will stop for now because uh, the rain is uh, increasing. I will let others speak and come back after.
0: Okay, actually, we are hearing you fine. I want to circle back to that. Helen, what's your answer to this question? What can we do as individuals? And and maybe speaking not only for yourself, but for the other good people in your um, chapter.
1: I think that we can um, stop facilitating the arms trade we can dry up the supply of weapons. I have a, a chart that shows that when the um, Dow Jones went up by 150 percent since 9/11, Raytheon and, and Lockheed Martin went up by 1,700 percent. They're making they're they're it's called war profiteering, and this is taxpayer money that's going into this. And we have to just say stop. We have to honor the Arms Trade Treaty. We don't in Canada. We sell, as you know, uh, light-armoured vehicles to Saudi Arabia, which is clearly in contravention of the Arms Trade Treaty. And we have to, um, I think, sign, I believe all of us should be signing the Treaty for the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons. We have comprehensive treaties against landmines and chemical weapons, and, but we don't have a comprehensive treaty against nuclear weapons. And I, I find that just um, just stunning. It's just sheer folly. Uh, I would comment also that for other countries to go to war, they go through a democratic process. There have to be approvals, but not for a nuclear war. Just one person can push a button and we could end up with a nuclear war. So I think we really have to stop our participation and the way we are allowing arms manufacturers to profit from um, the misery that people are experiencing at the end of our wars. I, I had another thought too, which is something I've been reading about recently called the I think they call it the overview effect, but it's what happens to astronauts when they are returning from a a, a trip to space and they see the blue globe floating in, in, in black, basically. And they have these profound spiritual experiences where boundaries disappear and they recognize how we're all connected. And it just seems, you know, like let's get it together guys. And let's start electing leaders who have had that kind of experience and have that kind of awareness, and um, yeah.
0: Well, amen to all of that, Helen. Um, if anybody out there could see me, you would see me vigorously nodding, especially when you're talking about the profit motive. I mean, let, let's remember that when these astronauts see the planet and wonder why we can't have peace, they're probably not thinking about the fact that war is so profitable um, and that that is... Unfortunately, a large part of the reason we don't have peace is that many are profiting off of, off of hatred, off of violence, and off
1: of war. But, but the only reason it continues is that we don't have enough people who know. We don't right. have enough. Even the story of, um, I don't know whether you read the story in the New York Times, of um, Ahad in northern Yemen. There was a group of people who had just found water. They pooled together and dug a well, and they were bombed into smithereens with American bombs dropped by Saudi aircraft. And the researcher went back to the plant where the bomb was created. And everybody in that plant had high morale because they thought they were keeping American soldiers safe. And they were creating the insurance that they could target the right people and not civilians. And so the three people that he talked to when they found out what happened to the very bomb that they had created were horrified. And that's my experience. When we can talk to people and they start to understand, uh, we just need to get enough people aware.
0: Thank you, Helen. Great answer. Heinrich. same question. Not only you, but you and your chapter. What can we do? You know, and what are we doing?
3: Yeah, I think we have, uh, coming back to this, uh, uh, what I said about this group uh, about Latin America, the the progressive movements in latin america they very much feel that they get solidarity from from countries uh, like china like russia that they see as kind of their allies their kind of uh, compatriots their kind of uh, countries that are able and willing to assist them to help them and i think uh, That is something a lot of people in the peace movement and a lot of people also in the left movement are missing out. They have more the feeling that we need to set up like a whole new grassroots movement to fight for peace and to change the world into this kind of uh, uh, nonviolent way and concept, but missing out the fact that a lot of the improvements in in world history, sometimes only for a few years, but have come about by by people who, not have been always nonviolent. I'm I myself. I'm a pacifist. I'm nonviolent, but I can also agree to the fact that certain powers and certain countries and certain movements, and also people in the in the, for example, in the uh, the African freedom and anti-colonialism fight uh, have been violent at some points of their lives. And I still kind of respect them as figures in world history where like uh, should be respected. And I think that we have to kind of find uh, uh, an access to that idea. And therefore I always try to uh, to, to also stress the importance of the concept of, for example, of the non-aligned movement that was like founded in the 50s to be a block between NATO and Russia Pact, And they kind of, at some point also, they t- portrayed themselves as the largest peace movement on earth. But they also had partners and then member countries who were not all non-violent, because the conditions kind of pushed it onto them to be violent sometimes. You know? So I think that is a kind of a paradox in the in the whole uh, movement sometimes. And I think we have to understand that these powers sometimes can be on our side, especially their media, for example, or Russia Today or the Chinese TV, I think are very important outlets and and uh, or press tv even from iran and we even have people like like david swanson speaking sometimes on these channels and promoting their ideas and they're willing to 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 broadcast it and uh, i think without these media outlets and without these powers i think a lot of these regime change that are kind of initiated by race and, and all these these uh, companies in the military industrial complex uh, would have already toppled a lot of governments that are not really uh, going along with them and uh, they they want to take them out. And I think for that reason, I think we should sometimes rethink a little bit our position, what means pacifism, what means nonviolent uh, thinking in respect to these kind of powers that are sometimes on our side as well so that is uh, my take on it and also like when you see roger waters for example supporting this uh, 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 treaty against the nuclear weapons he is also supporting venezuela he's supporting people who are fighting for their rights sometimes and even, for example, the Chinese also are not against that treaty per se, although they have nuclear weapons, but they are still supporting the concept of taking down these weapons, you know? and I think this all kind of goes together to, to uh, cons- we need to consider that sometimes a little bit more closely. That would be my agenda too, a little bit to kind of bring this into these discussions and and, uh, uh, as as some brain food for the movement.
0: I think what I'm understanding from what you're saying is that a lot of what's happening right now is not between people, but between empires or between countries, between powers, between world powers. Um, When you speak of the non-aligned movement, I know a little bit about that. Um, this was in the 1950s. What I understand is that there was um, considered to be the first world, as we say. the first world was the United States and Europe, and then there was considered to be the second world, which was the Soviet Union and China and Cuba and this is you know the very simplistic this is of course as anti war activists what we are against we we want we want the world to feel. Like one place instead of um, instead of a state of war, but the idea of the non-aligned movement was that the third world, the countries that are neither in the capitalist you know wealth block nor in the communist block, should also have a voice. I believe this was Nehru of India. Um, I think what I'm understanding from what you're saying, Heinrich, is that um, what we do as people must involve what these empires are doing as empires. Is, is that close?
3: Yeah but just, to, just, yeah, but just to follow up on that, I mean, the non-aligned nation movement is like a kind of a strange name for, for, the, for the contemporary situation, but it's still around. It's Now it has 120 member states, which make up more than 50% of the world population. Ah, okay. And the Chinese and the Russian government are supporting them. So they have like they have like regular meetings. The last one was in Caracas and they are all for like non interventionism. They're against regime change wars. They want cooperation and they basically they're for peace. But they are at the same time some of their member states are armed to the teeth because they are in this geopolitical situation. And I for that reason I wouldn't call them empires in the sense of imperialist empires, I would consider them empires, yes, like powerful countries like China and Russia are, but they are still on the better side of history than my government, for example, not the German people, my German government, the US government, not the, American, not the US population. Same goes for Canada. But I think we have to see this on a larger scale and who is on the better side or on the worse side. It's more like a scale, it's not so much black and white.
0: Guy, I'm very interested in what you said earlier that young people need to be taught differently. Can you tell us more about that?
2: Yes, Mark. Uh, actually, uh, in, in our schools, we are observing an increase of violence lot of violence in our schools and it seems like uh, the parents at the homes do not uh, really do their job they do not really care about the the education of their children and we at school as teacher we think we have to do something to to catch up on that because uh, we know we as teachers were considered as just giving lessons to the pupils coming to school, but actually this we have to add on what we we teach a a a discourse on 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 peace a a speech we have to have a a different speech to add a, a peace education on what we teach to our our students because. Uh, we are observing teachers being murdered by children. Uh, children being murdered by their classmates, lot of drugs at the school milieu, Lots lot of violence, as I said. And it affects teachers. It affects uh, the entire school community. And we think we can add to our primary task a uh, a part on peace education which uh, which I personally try to, to do in my classrooms when I, I, I have to teach uh, for two hours in the class so there will be like 15 minutes at least to have a peace talk either in break the class in groups or either raise a a, a topic on what usually happen among students to bring them the students to bring them to come out themselves with with what they consider as solutions to school violence we have noticed lot of uh, lot of, of proposition from the students and when they speak aloud about what they think they can do to stop school violence we try to, to reframe what they are said that they, that they have, what they have said to a speech that they can use to sensitize other students in the schools. And we made them peace ambassadors in in schools, not only in their classroom, but in school at large. And what we have not yet started doing is to have a a session at the end of the year, maybe at the end of the school term, to assess the impact of this uh, sensitization they are doing among the, the, the classmates. At least we think we can observe that there, there is a drop of uh, violence amongst those who have been sensitized. And we hope that uh, this message goes widely beyond the school borders and touches also the the parents, that they should also understand that they also need to be educated so that you understand why I was saying we need Uh, to educate differently because not only students have to be educated but also the school community and the school community implies the parents too and also uh, the school administration that also needs to be educated on the ways to handle cases of violence in school because uh, when some cases arise what they think they can easily do is to put out of the schools those students who have committed act of violence. And in Cameroon we do not have uh, spaces, we don't have spaces to relocate, uh, we don't have spaces to relocate uh, students who have uh, misbehaved. Uh, maybe later on I can talk on the, the, the project idea we have on this but on the personal level as a teacher I have uh, committed to take some time from my teaching hours to break my classes into groups and to give them a specific uh, topic on violence in school or on a particular issue that happened in another school that they heard on the media and so that so that they brainstorm among themselves and come out with a solution on what can actually be done to avoid this type of situation and what they can actually do to help those who are engaged in this violence to reintegrate the community, to be well seen in the community, not as uh, only violence perpetrators, maybe as the kids who has been misoriented at some time, and who need to be understood and guided to to integrate the society so before the you you came you came in again and i was about to ask add another level of this education which concerns school authorities school authority because uh, they are taking uh, decisions without consulting those in the field, and which makes a lot of problems because they, the decision they take uh, do not always apply to realities in classroom, in the school, in the field. And these authorities comes, uh, up to the, the minister in charge of school. Is there an agenda
0: to, um, to use education to, to address the crisis in your country right now? I guess I'm, I'm trying to understand, are children being taught to be violent? Are children being taught that this war will be a positive force? Yes. Are children being taught one side versus the other? Is that the sort of
2: thing? Yes, actually there, there is a link between uh, the education we are talking about and the crisis, the crisis in the country. Because you, mm-hmm. I, I said earlier that uh, the decision makers also need to be educated, because they they like they are showing bad examples to our our students. Because just imagine that you are a teacher in the classroom, you in your lesson you show your student what are the best values, and at the same time a political leader. Who can be a minister who can even be the president of the republic behave differently from what you have just taught to your children and the children just consider what the minister is doing like the best example and this start uh, turning the the community around because you can you say to your children that uh, you should merit what you deserve And at the same time, when they organize an election, for example, you see the the leaders making everything to teach the election, to organize fraud in the election. So this reflects badly on our our, our children, on the education we are giving to the children. And they cannot longer respect the the, the teachers. They do not respect their classmates. They cannot even respect the authorities because they know that even the president of the republic is behaving badly, so you understand the mentality, the mentality that the the people have, and this is actually what we have to to, to change. This mindset has to be changed, uh, including by educating the leaders. So we have an idea of a project idea to transform these uh, mentalities to educate the society the community the way that they commit themselves to change everybody where he find himself can commit itself or himself to change by taking a decision for maybe one year two years depending on what you can achieve you can decide now that from now to next year mm-hmm. i will change something on my behavior and you write it down somewhere. So that when you come at your evaluation, evaluating yourself, you read again what you wrote about your hands and then you see if you have improved or not. And what you have written earlier becomes a judge for you. So this is an idea we are trying to develop, to apply to our school children, apply to school administration, to parents, and even to political leaders up to the the, the government so that they commit themselves to to change. And for this to be effective, you can choose to write it somewhere that you know. You can write it and give it to someone who who will follow on what you have said and be guiding you to behave the way you have committed to behave. And you can even, uh, if you are a political leader, for example, you can write it as a tweet or a message on your Facebook page that from today I commit to be that person by two years. And the message is there with the date, with the time you have said it. And you have, all the time you have selected to behave differently. When times come, you can evaluate yourself. People with you in your community can evaluate you and make you change. This is the easy idea you are developing it as a project. And for that we will need uh, to do a lot of activities around this uh, project idea. And that's why um, I used the opportunity of having Ellen and Iris here that I will share this idea more clearly with you. So as to to have your, your, your support in how to frame these uh, ideas in something practical that we can do. Because uh, this is not only Cameroon thing, as I was noting that we have security challenges, peace challenges everywhere. We can even use it somewhere else to try to to bring our leaders, our, our citizens, to commit themselves to change, and I really behave that this can have a, a, a strong impact. Yes.
0: Wow. Well, I really love that. Thank you. Thank you, Guy. That um, I, I definitely think we're all with you on this. One reason I'm interested in this topic is that education is a is a major focus of ours at World Beyond War, and we certainly agree that um, that education is an issue we should all be thinking about. Um, I'd like to ask one large question to each of you, and I think this will be my last question. I'd also like to ask each of you if you have questions for each other. We've had a few technical audio problems here, not the first time on the World Beyond War podcast, um, probably because we're trying to do real-time conversations across the globe where the technology isn't quite ready. And I'm going to start with you again, Guy. What kind of reaction do you get from people who are not activists? Do people generally agree with you? The people in your community, people in your family, people you work with, or are you controversial? And this is the same question I'm going to ask to each of you.
2: Yes. Yes, thank you. I understand very well this question. And what happened is that people agree with what you say when you came with an idea of trying to change everybody is okay with you we have to this is a good idea and what is uh, disturbing is that when they accept that the your ideas are good they are not contradictory with what you said but they they do not change as you really wanted to change because you Tell someone that this uh, war is not good in Cameroon. For example, everybody agrees that war is not good in the media everywhere. We'll be, everybody will be agree that there is uh, a problem, and we will always be uh, the same line with the solution that are being proposed. But those in charge of the taking decision, they will not take appropriate decision. Uh, those in chat in with with guns, they will not drop down guns, although they say war is not good. See that is is being challenging this difficult to understand. So it means that there's something somewhere that um, people might have some huge interest in in fueling conflict. They might have some interest that the war doesn't stop. Because maybe they are using that to have money, to have power, and all that. So uh, this is something we really have to to understand why. To understand why they agree with you and they do not change.
0: I sure do relate to that answer. And I, I have to sadly say that in this way, your country and my country are very similar. Because here also, people will often say, oh, yeah, we'd, we'd love to end all wars after we win this one. <laughs> um, so it's kind of like, yeah, we're, we're, we're against war in theory as long as we win them all. I really relate, and I'm, I'm so glad to be talking to you, Guy, about this. Um, Helen, same question to you.
1: Well, on the am I controversial, yes, I am. I'm considered controversial here. I have a presentation I do. And at the beginning, I will ask, um, on a scale of 1 to 10, how much do you desire world peace? And people will say 8, 9. And then I'll say, and on a scale of 1 to 10, what do you think the probability is that we achieve it? And they'll say, you know, 2, 3. It's two questions I got from marriage counseling. And the marriage counselor knows, based on the result, whether they're doing marriage counseling or divorce counseling. So, um we have an issue around belief. I call it the $64,000 question. Why is it that survey after survey says that people want world peace, and yet war and the preparations for war are escalating? And, you know, I'm, I talk about the $1.5 but according to the Institute of Economics and Peace, it's more like $8.5 is the damage of militarism in the world from last year. The only correlation... Is to cultures that tolerate or accept war and we have to look at ourselves and see that when I was in corporate life and I worked for very large organizations like like Bell Canada and the Bank of Nova Scotia and so on never ever ever did a department head create a budget that would decrease the size of his department it's just not the way it goes And so the people in leadership positions are there because they've learned to play the game that got them there. And it's up to us to stand outside of that. And I I think if we want, if we're hoping to change them, um, we might not be coming at it from the right way. Another story that I like to tell is that if I went to the ocean and I said to the fish, fish, tell me about water. The fish would say, water, water. Sorry, I can't tell you anything about it. Sorry, and and that's the way it is for many of our leaders. They're swimming in this ocean that you know they don't even know. Um, all of us are swimming in our own ocean, really. But um, and those of us who are on shore can see it more yeah. clearly. Um, so again, I come back. I think for for Guy, I think I don't know whether you're familiar with the Institute of Economics and Peace, but they've done. Wonderful work on the difference between negative peace and positive peace. Negative peace being the absence of war, and positive peace being the presence of what needs to be there for war to be for for peace to be sustainable. And I, it's a source of inspiration, really, on what needs to happen. Power comes from the bottom. I mean, really, it does, and I believe that. I come back to Erica Chenoweth. Let's just get our our 4.5 percent. Um, standing on the shore and looking at this and questioning it, and we will see the change we want to see.
0: Wonderful, Helen. I, as always, as as I knew the first time I spoke to you in Toronto, I just totally agree. <laughs> I think we're we're of like minds on on many of these. Heinrich, what about you? Are you controversial where you are, and and what type of reaction do you get when you when you are? telling people about your anti-war cafe and and other things that you are doing
3: yeah it's uh, kind of controversial as well i think the the main part at the moment is uh, the problem we have with the mainstream media and they're picking up so strongly on this anti-russian and anti-chinese rhetoric that is like very, very strong in the media and a lot of people kind of believe that it's necessary to, to, uh, to build up our, our defenses and uh, to build up the military or their peace. They don't question it so much because they believe that uh, there's some danger out in the world and uh, we should be ready to, uh, for it. At the same time you have this problem I was talking about, about the confusion in the peace movement that is like in large parts also like influenced by this uh, corona skepticism that is very prevalent at the moment and they kind of focus almost also in the same direction because they also see like China as one of the main culprits in this crisis and uh, well that is like kind of amplified by it and they, they also don't counter it so much, so the whole thing is as I said, it's a confusion because the, the alternative media that is like really anti-war is like kind of uh, marginalized, they are like uh, you have also a lot of uh, censoring now on, on YouTube and on, on other channels like uh, de-platforming and kind of taking uh, alternative media off the social media networks. And um, yeah, I think it's uh, it's a very difficult situation. We have like, for example, now the second year in a row is Defender 2020, now it's 20, Defender 2021, where you have uh, large contingents of uh, US, I think the Canadians also participate in NATO forces Moving Can you explain ahead.
0: what that is? Can you explain what Defender 21 is? Most yeah, that's people a, that's a huge out.
3: military exercise that is moving troops, uh, uh, US troops that are shipped over to, to Germany, or to German ports, and then going together with other NATO groups uh, to the Russian border in order to challenge Russia's uh, threat that... Uh, was last year it was cut short because of the corona crisis this year they do it even during this lockdown basically we have here it's still ongoing and uh, that is also like kind of in the media uh, a little bit and people like kind of get the sense there's some danger coming from the east you know and
1: uh, yes canada participates in that and it. Yeah how can we um abolish nato
3: yeah we also did a campaign like together with world beyond war here in germany where we collected signatures there was a, a letter by the by the berlin peace movement handed over to the russian embassy and uh, david and me we kind of worded that for the to put out a, a english language version of that too which like it's amazing like more than 7,000 US Americans and Canadians have signed on that petition supporting this Berlin letter to the Russian government, which we handed over to the Russian embassy. So there is is still a lot of activism, but at the same time you have this mainstream element that is very aggressive. You have the mainstream media that is spreading it like hell. And then you have this uh, Corona, focus now that is almost like kind of deflecting some of that uh, anti-war activism into other, other channels, you want to say, put it that way.
0: When I hear from each of you, I'm just reminded of how urgent what we're all doing is and also how hopeless we all feel sometimes. I certainly feel hopeless at times, but, but working with each of you makes me feel more hopeful I'd like to know if there are any questions that each of you have for each other. Go ahead, Helen. I see it.
1: (laughs) It's not so much a question as as a thought on the question of hope. We can water the flowers, not the weeds, which we want to be doing. We still have this sort of World War II mentality going on. And yet a lot of things have happened in the last 75 years that are very positive in terms of peace. If we look at some of these sort of systemic shifts that have already happened, I mean, we didn't, um, we didn't have an international body of law at the time of the Second World War. We didn't have a women's movement. We didn't have a nonviolent movement and an appreciation of the power of nonviolence. We are part of this process that we can't see the end of yet because we're part of it. But I, I believe it's happening.
0: I have hope. I always want these podcasts to be delivering hope. I never want to be um, delivering a message of despair. What you said about water the flowers and not the weeds—that's um, what we try to do at World Beyond War. So I want to thank you all for being here. Thank you all for speaking to me, and and we'll be talking again. Dee, thank you. Helen, thank you. Heinrich, thank you. And
1: Mark, thank you. Thank, thank you, me. everyone. It was great to talk with you. Great really, thank you. you. Bye-bye. Bye bye. 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 oh, 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 oh Thanks so
0: much for listening to today's podcast. Our podcast is now available on iTunes,
3: Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Don't forget to give us a rating. Visit worldbeyondwar.org to learn more about the social and environmental
1: impacts of the war machine and get involved in the movement for a world beyond war.